The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot. Registration is open for No Longer Virtual, coming up February 26th and 27th, 2024, in Missoula, Montana. Limited to 25 participants, you make this event meaningful. Topics for the sessions this year include managing life and work as an entrepreneur or internal innovator, finding creativity at work, using Agile, the project structure usually associated with IT work, to improve communication and outcomes in your non-tech business, and so much more. Every session is hosted by the people who attend. No keynotes. All sessions are interactive workshops to get the most out of those side conversations and leverage all of the great experience that's already in the room. But what people who attend NLV say they value the most about this summit is the relationships they build that continue to support and nurture them at work and in their career throughout the year and well into the future. Early registration is extended through January 15th, 2024, and there are a few spots left. So join us. Don't miss this opportunity. Register at elkinsconsulting.com. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. I didn't come by the title chief storymaker without making some stories in my past. And listeners, you're in luck today because you may hear a few of those story-making stories from my brother, my guest for today's episode, Eric Elkins. We, um, we've been working together off and on for years, and he started his business in a field that was just in, his, in its infancy about 17 years ago. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear the stories of what happened as he started his business and where he's taken it. You are going to love this conversation. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so honored, Sarah. Well, after 300 and some episodes, I think it was about time to hear your voice <laughs> on this one. <laughs> so um, I always start my episodes by asking the guests to share something about themselves that most people might not know about them. So do you have something in mind or do I need to pick something? <laughs> oh, um, I would love to hear what you pick. That could be really <laughs> Well, unless people knew you 20 years ago, they don't know you used to have super long hair. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I grew it out in grad school and um, in the and I was a teacher for a few years, and the ponytail, the long hair, the look—even though I wore a tie every day—was somehow disarming for the kids. It made me the cool teacher, um, and it was a really fun, interesting way to to be able to engage with them. I didn't know that part about it. I just remember I see the pictures. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, my main, <laughs> your main. So actually, this leads me to something else that I would love for you to share with our audience, which is the story behind your mohawk. Oh yeah, this Speaking is something a lot of people don't know, right? Yeah. Okay. So um, before I had my main, um, well, just growing up in the, you know. Um, especially high school in the eighties. So a while ago, um, punk rock was definitely, um, very popular. Their mohawks were getting popular. Um, it was 
just seemed like a really cool hairstyle. I was a pretty conservative kid living in a conservative part of the country as you know, Sarah, you know, we went to high school in Colorado Springs and it was a definitely a unique place to grow up. Um, and, um, I love the idea of a mohawk and I really wanted one. And so I went to dad and said, Hey, I want to go get a mohawk. And he didn't say no to his credit. He said, you know what? It's your hair. You can do what you want. But you just said, no, that if you're wearing a mohawk, we're going to be embarrassed about having you around. So we probably won't take you to our, to dinners when we go out and, you know, just, you won't be able to do as many social things with us because, um, we, it'll just be embarrassing for the family. And, you know, it seems it's funny because at the time that was very progressive in, in some ways, right. To be like, Hey, it's your hair. You do what you want. I wish he had said, Hey, it's your hair and you're in high school. Go get a mohawk. This is the one right. time when you could really do it. Um, but you know, it was a different time and I, and I definitely respect the way he, he handled that. So I've always thought about it. Um, always wanted one, but you know, professionally and otherwise it just didn't seem to make sense. Um, I had that long mane of hair and then cut it to something more manageable. Um, and basically what happened was I made a deal with the guy who cut my hair for the last 20 years and said, and, and the one who really cut it short um, after the long hair went away. And I said, look, he, he sees the back of my head. He sees where the, the hair is receding. He sees the forehead as well. Um, and I said, you have to tell me when it's time to go Mr. Clean. But before that, you have to tell me before it's too late to get a mohawk because I don't know how old I'm going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. I want that opportunity. And um, two years ago, we were talking about it. We realized that I was sort of running out of time and we were heading into summer, which seemed like a good time to to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this, Sarah, but I was getting ready to get the Mohawk and I reached out to my to Simone, my daughter, who lives in, who was graduating from college. And I asked um, her if she minded if I got the Mohawk before her graduation. And she said, just, could you do us all a favor and wait till after? So it's not a Mohawk and all the family photos. So um, I, yeah, I got it cut. Um, it looked amazing. I was really nervous the first couple of days going out um because it is you know it is definitely it's a weird look it's a short one it doesn't last it's not very long but it's definitely a mohawk i love it i love it wait one second i'm going to take a screenshot turn sideways so we can see it and smile there perfect that way i can in insert it in the show notes <laughs> nice um and i thought i would just have it for the summer but honestly i love it so much um got compliments in fact i got a compliment yesterday about it and, you know, at 56 years old to walk around with a mohawk and um, the look that I have, it kind of works. And so it's kind of in the last couple of years become a signature piece of my style. And I can't imagine going back to anything else. I love it. I love it. And there are two things that resonate with me about it. And one thing is I was going to say, maybe it's time to bleach it out and do it purple. That's just mm. my first thought. Yeah. <laughs> but the the other the thing that popped into my head is that when Max, our younger son, who's 22 now, in middle school, he wanted his hair to be white. A lot of his friends were doing interesting colors, mm -hmm. and he just wanted his hair to be white. And he has brown hair like mine, kind of a dark, darkish brown with highlights. And 
And I said, okay. And you know why I said, okay? Because I remembered your story with the Mohawk. Mm. And I didn't say I'm going to be embarrassed because it's his hair. Right. Exactly. And he's like, and he's such a good kid. <laughs> and I have to say, when we bleached it, we spent three weekends in a row in our bathroom at the house with me bleaching it out a little at a time so we wouldn't completely damage and destroy it. Mm. And because I didn't know what I was doing. And we went together to the Sally Beauty Salon store and asked for advice. And that last weekend, we spent hours together in the bathroom laughing. He took selfies with my phone when his hair was all in you know, the goo. We had a blast with it. And what I noticed is that he's already kind of a mischievous kid. He yeah. always has had that <laughs> side of him. As my father-in-law would say, he's got the Dickens in him. I think that haircut actually made him more like that. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it enhanced that aspect of his personality. And I love that he embraced it. So thank you for telling that story, not just here, but to me that you lived it because otherwise I don't know that I would have responded in the same way. That is so interesting. You know, Simone had lots of different colors of hair and different styles and I just loved it. Like what a great way to express yourself. Um, I never saw it as an act of rebellion. I just saw it as something cool. And um, I love that you as a mom were like, yeah, Max, that's what you want to do. Let me help you do it right. That's really great. Yeah. So this actually, this leads perfectly into the part of the conversation that I was eager to get to um, about what you do. And um, what I like to do is have you share what you do without actually telling us what you do. So for our listeners, think about um, a story, maybe from when you first started the business, when you were way more hands-on in the work that your company does, a time when you worked with a client that you walked away from going, oh, yeah, nailed it. Okay. Um, it's probably uh, the, the story I'm thinking about is a client we still have. In fact, I was in a meeting with them today. And so we've had them for more than a decade. So we've come a long way with them and gotten better and better at what we do because they've been so um, good at communicating with us. And we've, you know, really grown to adore each, each other. Like they're one of our, uh, the client we work with directly is one of our favorite people um, of the last 16, 17 years. Um it was a home builder in Colorado that um, had uh, that had homes in several master plan communities. There was one where they were the um, one of the one of three home builders in that community, but they also had their own um, communities where that they had developed with their homes, um, different construction, different models. Uh, they're part of a national brand, but they were. Um, the Colorado division really wanted to embrace social media and see if they could um, increase their visibility and reach and get more model home tours and more and sell more homes. They had been re referred to us from another um, developer client who loved our work. And, um, and, and actually when this company reached out, I went to the other company and said, do you mind if we work with them? Cause they're somewhat competitors. And they're like, Hey, the more the merrier. Every you know, if everybody's doing social well, everybody, um, wow, you know, everybody gets learned. You know, gets better. That's enlightened. At, works better <laughs> for 
yeah, it was pretty enlightened. It was really special. And um, so we started trying to figure out, it was very early days for, for Facebook um, especially. And this was probably pre Instagram, even now that I think about it, but we were trying to figure out how we would use social media to help get in front of more of the key audiences they were looking for. And at the time, and it depended on the, the different locations of their master plan communities, whether it was mm-hmm. in South of Denver, where they had a super fancy high-end community um, or another part of uh, Metro Denver, where they had um, it was more affordable for young families and, and um, people emerging and probably buying their first homes. And so for each of those communities, we had to develop, had to figure out what was going to resonate for those audiences. And what we realized and what we've long done now for home builders, especially, but for other clients as well, is we realized that we could build a sense of community by creating a sense of place for the, for these different areas. Uh, so what we did was starting with Facebook is we didn't just, when we created these Facebook pages for these neighborhoods, we didn't just start promoting the homes. We didn't just start saying, Hey, here's a model home. Here's how much it costs. Um, here's the, you know, the pool that's going to be going in. All of those things were really important. And that was part of it. But we also, uh, brought in what we call curated content, which is relevant, interesting third-party content. That's not um, that's not owned, that doesn't link back to the website, that's not self-promotional about the area so that people who are following and engaging with the brand on Facebook could see that these neighborhoods, not only what the neighborhoods were like, but what the surrounding areas were like. So we bring in events that were happening nearby. We would talk about local retailers. We talk about hikes and parks and um, other interesting amenities and even lifestyle uh, connections. So we'd look at the Denver post and we would look at um, the local magazines and we would look at, um, you know, different websites and share that content on these pages to create a a real sense that um, living in these environments would be rewarding for these families and for these um, particular consumers. And I think what, what, you know, you asked, where did I start to feel really, like we were doing something powerful was we um, it took a few years as Facebook changed as um, ads started to become really a key part of social media management. Um, But in, we started emerged to become one of the top drivers of website traffic for these different communities. And that's like, you know, there are, they work with media buyers who are buying, um, buying up lots of uh, website traffic and buying lots of ads across different, you know, multiple platforms. But we really focused our ad spends on at that time Facebook and Instagram, uh, and have and drove tons of website traffic to um, their builder pages, to their quick move-in homes, and to um, the places where people could sign up to get on the interest list or schedule a model home tour. And so we've become this integral part of their overall marketing plan in the, you know, and now for 10 plus years, because not only were we able to create this sense of place and create a sense of community on their social channels, but we were also able to actually drive really measurable, tangible uh, revenue driving results. And so um, it's something that over the years, I, I think, I don't think much about, you know, because they're a great client. We've been with them for a long time. I'm not really, 
engaged with them on a very regular basis, but today they're really on my mind because I met with them to talk about some new work and it's pretty awesome that we've been able to do that over the years. Ah, I love that. That's a perfect story to demonstrate what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, I, I'm thinking about all the all the different stories I've heard from you over the years about your work. And the thing that the memory, the visual memory that pops into my head is that um, the 15th anniversary party that I had the opportunity yeah. to attend in Denver and having your team all together. When you think about that, that particular event, what's the image that pops into your head? Um, it was when I was finally had a moment to give a speech and I looked around and it was you and um, my everybody from the team. And for some people, the first time we'd ever met them in person because we have a remote team. Uh, and it was clients who we love, like we truly love, who happened to be there, who who came for it, strategic partners, friends, um, supporters. Like I was just felt so surrounded by this um, just warmth and pride. And, um, you know, I started the company back in 2007, but there I felt like I was part of something bigger and it wasn't just about me. It was about this um, presence that we built as a team. And we had some, a couple of former employees, like it was really wonderful to feel like we had created something bigger and that was going to continue to grow. Um, but yeah, just that feeling of seeing everybody around and their smiles on their faces and um, a sense that something larger had been accomplished on a personal connection level and an emotional level than just, you know, the business itself. There are so many things about what you just said that are lighting me up and I'm, I have all these questions in my head and ideas for moving the conversation forward. And I'm trying to decide which way to go. My first thought is that's, that's the memory I have is seeing you stand up there and get a little emotional about what you were experiencing in that moment. And I'm reading the book awe right now. And I forget what the subtitle is, but it's about finding everyday awe in your life. Mm. And apparently awe has similar effects on our brain to gratitude. It's a different emotion, but it has a similar effect. And what you're describing is lighting up all of what I'm reading about in terms of awe, which is um, finding something outside of yourself that kind of defies explanation necessarily. Um, and that you you feel that that almost euphoric experience. And I think that's part of what makes what you do with your organization so special is that that's how you see the purpose. It's, it's way beyond income. It's way beyond even supporting your clients and the people who work with you. It's, it's creating that sense of community that matters to you. It always has. So one of the things uh, for our listeners around the time of the 15th anniversary party, which was a year ago last October. Um, so that would have been 2022. Uh, I provided strength finder. It was it 21. 
Oh my gosh, two years ago. No, okay. it was 22. Yeah. No, you're right. It was 22. Sorry. <laughs> it was 22. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Don't, no don't make it go so fast. <laughs> you're right. 20, fast 20, enough. October 22. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that was really special to me, that was an honor to me, was that you invited me to come and do strength finder work with your team. Yeah. And it was no surprise to me, nor to the people who know you, that you lead with connectedness. And for our listeners, what that means in StrengthsFinder is that Eric has this uncanny ability to see the bigger picture. And the way that I like to uh, use an analogy for this is that when we were little and we would have these big books of puzzles for our road trips, which we we drove all the way across the country a few times when we moved, um, my mom would give us these big jumbo puzzle books and coloring books. And Eric could take the connect the dots page as early as seven years old and it could have a hundred or more dots labeled and eric would know no matter how random the image was going to be yeah (laughs) yeah you would look at it and say oh that's gonna be a rabbit and mom would look back and go okay because none of us could see it but you you could see it you could see the image on the paper just from the dots And that's how your connectedness shows up. And when you just described the story of standing there, understanding that you were a part of something bigger, more powerful, that's your connectedness. And that's what you bring to everything you do. Mm -hmm. So as I think about that, uh, I would love for you to tell the story of how you connected Gringo's Tacos to their current location in Denver, because that is another great um, generosity of your connectedness is that story, that experience. Okay. But I'm sad to say they're no longer there. Oh no. Yeah. Do, do they have <laughs> another space? Tell me Gringo's Tacos is still around. Oh, oh no. They got so big that they could no longer um, stay in that space. Oh, well, so, good for them, but yeah, sad good for, for them. Sad for, for Danny. Sad for Danny. Um, <laughs> although his new chef is awesome and the food is ridiculous. So it's so good. It's working okay. it, it, um, all, it always does one way or another, right? So yeah. I, I just love this story because it, it demonstrates the generosity of your connectedness. And it also will help our listeners if they are looking for social media strategy, if, if they're looking for that kind of assistance, they'll understand better how you work. Yeah. I mean, I think the most satisfying part of what I do is connecting people um, and, and connecting people who can help each other and can support each other and, and make life better. And um, because, you know, we just do social media management, we we have clients who need more than what we can provide. They might need SEO. They might need um, brand strategy. They might need a uh, larger digital strategy. And um, I don't do, I do referrals, but I don't talk about like referral payments. I don't refer people because I want to make money off of them. I refer them because I want them to be successful and I want the right people to match up with the right people. Um, and that goes not just for work, but for life as well. Uh, and basically what happened was, um, the boys from, from Gringo's Tacos were, they, they're this award-winning taco. Um, what do I want to say? Originally taco 
cart that became multiple taco carts that ended up having um, selling tacos in all of the big sports arenas around Denver. Um, and they also happened, luckily for us, to cater my our 15th anniversary party uh, with their award-winning tacos. It was a really fun kind of off-center way to, um, to celebrate and to have some delicious food. Uh, and I kept in touch with Travis, the owner, one of the co-owners and the chef. And he, I had noticed um, on Facebook that he was looking for a commissary kitchen or just for some more space. Um, and not long after that, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine who has um, multiple restaurants, but one of them is a club and a restaurant. It's called the Mercury Cafe. Uh, and his restaurant chef uh, had decided to leave and they didn't really have a plan for what they were going to do with this kitchen that's been around for a lot of years. And we were having lunch and he's like, Hey, I, I wrote up this uh, news release using chat GPT. You want to take a look at it? And he just loves to kind of tweak me on that stuff because <laughs> I get the value of chat B GPT, but I'm also a writer first. So that always, right. Comes, right? <laughs> so he does it most partially to tweak, you. tweak it, <laughs> but also like, to see um, what I think and to get my, you know, thoughts on it. And it was basically saying, Hey, we're looking for chefs who want to run pop-ups out of the restaurant. Um, and I said, what's going on? And he said, well, you know, our kitchen isn't going so well right now. We're looking for some new support or someone new to take it over. And he said, what I'd really like is like someone who could use it as a commissary kitchen during the day and then cook for us at night. Um, and he said, I don't think we need anything too fancy. Like, it would just be cool to have some good food there for when people come to um, to the dance lessons or for the live music or for the other events. And I thought about it and I got home and it literally, I don't know, 20 minutes later, I went, Travis, Gringo's Tacos. Um, and I reached out to Travis and I said, hey, you still looking for a commissary kitchen and uh, a place to cook out of? And he said, yeah, totally. And I said, does Mercury Cafe sound like an interesting spot? And he was like, that would be amazing. So I connected he and Danny together and um, they met the next week. They hit it off right away. Uh, and Travis moved in there. Travis and team moved in there. And for a few months, they were the um, the food provider for Mercury Cafe and the food was delicious. You got to come to their grand opening and it was mm -hmm. really, really good. Um, sad it didn't work out in the long term. It was, you know, Travis and his team got busier and busier with more venues and that it just didn't make sense for them to stay there. But um, it was, it bought Danny some time and now they have another new chef who's also from a food truck, um, but is just doing really stellar new stuff for, for the, uh, for the restaurant. That's a perfect description of what connectedness looks like in your world. It, mm. That's perfect. And I, I keep thinking back to, one of your first comments, which is connecting people who need to know each other and not being competitive. And that, um, that developer that recommended you for another developer to do work for mm. and his comment, which was the more, the merrier, the more we get people to be thinking about these things, the better we all do. And I know that that's part of the story with the food truck too, because you originally asked Biker Jim from Biker Jim's Hot Dogs mm -hmm. to cater that party, your 15th anniversary, when he said, I can't do it. He said, but this guy that used to work for me 
who just opened his own food trucks and food carts, um, mm-hmm. he might be available. And I got to meet Biker Jam at Gringo Taco's opening. And it I just goes to show. He's he's so cool. And for our listeners, if you are in Denver, anywhere near Denver, I'm highly recommending Biker Jim's Hot Dogs and Gringo's Tacos. They are both fantastic yeah. and food. Now, and now the Mercury Cafe's new chef. It's great food. Also. There you go. And yeah. and let's get people over there. But it, what you're what you're describing to me is exactly the kind of community that builds each other up. That that whole rising tide lifts all ships, right? Isn't that yeah. the phrase? Yeah. You know, I it, I've always felt that way. We've turned away potential clients because they weren't a good fit for us, or they weren't quite ready for us. But I've always sent them on to other companies that could help them. And there have been, you know, small businesses that are just a little too small, not quite ready for the kind of services that we provide. And I'm happy to connect them with um, with a team that, you know, works at a lower retainer and, and does the work differently and can um, help them grow. So for me, it's always about connecting people so that they can be more successful and be, you know, happier and do what they need to do. Mm. Awesome. I know so many business owners that the the social media part is just the the worst part. Mm. You know, they they just and they often will this this reminds me of organizations or companies that have the the lowest paid employee sitting at the reception desk. Right. And it is very obvious they're the lowest paid employee. And all I could think for decades of my customer service experience. Why would you put somebody like that at the entrance where they're the first person frontline of your brand customers are going to see exactly this is the face of your business as far as they're concerned. Yeah. And the same thing happens with social media and people will just give that to it's like the lowest common denominator farm it out to an intern mm-hmm. or some young person because we all have this idea that not we all Many people have this idea that, well, young people can do it because they do it all the time. Well, a young person doing it for themselves is very different from being your voice and your face in social media. Yeah. So it's always surprising to me when people do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, we've, we had a graphic that we used to use all the time and it said, our intern said, what? (laughs) <laughs> and because, you know, that is the front line of your brand, especially now, like people will see your brand on social media before they might even see your website or before they meet, come to you in person. So if your social media isn't consistent and strategic and professional and engaging, or if you're not responding to comments or you're responding in a flip or, um, you know, a, a way that's not respectful or doesn't, doesn't, um, present your brand in a positive way, you're not only are missing out on opportunities for business, but you're also turning away um, people who might be otherwise really interested in being part of that. Mm-hmm. I have a specific example of that where I saw, um, we were thinking about going to a Mexican restaurant here in Helena, Montana, and I was looking at the reviews and most of the reviews were really good but there were a couple that were not so happy and some that were reasonably writing reviews. You know, they weren't, they weren't bitter. They weren't being nasty. And the owner's responses were absurd. They were super defensive. 
really mean-spirited, really insulting. And I thought, I'm not going there. I don't want to support an owner that behaves that way. Mm -hmm. So what has been your experience with that? Have you had to have a hard conversation with a client about that kind of behavior? Uh, No, but only because we build trust from the very start. And we're the ones who respond on their behalf. We're the ones who recommend how to respond. Um, We've definitely had ones where they were like, you know, screw this guy. Let's tell him what, what the, you know, let's tell him what we really think. And we'd say, let's couch that in facts. And let's, you know, let's turn this into a a conversation that's going to be positive for you in the long run. I often say that when you get a negative comment or negative review, your response has two audiences and, and two, um, two functions. The first audience and the is the person who wrote the comment, the negative comment or the negative review. And the first thing you need to do there is deescalate and get that, um, hopefully get that conversation offline or, you know, into a private venue so that you can work through the the situation and solve the problem. Um, but that second audience is everybody else who's watching what you're going to do. And so that's why it's so important to respond, to take responsibility, and then to actively in that, you know, response, move the conversation elsewhere. So sorry, this happened to you. It's not the way we'd like to be. Please, um, can we let's DM or let's email separately so we can get to the bottom of this. Things like that are, you're not, you're not saying that you did anything wrong necessarily. You're taking responsibility that the person is unhappy rather than, you know, arguing about what's going on. You're not escalating in the public eye um, and you're showing people that customer service is important to you. And so it's, there's a lot of viral stuff of, you know, um, Yelp review responses from restaurants that are pretty witty, you know, and that are funny Mm -hmm. and show the person who wrote the review in a bad light, but it's a fine line. And you have to be really careful because just like you said, you can turn off a lot of people if you're, if you're not, if you're just being, um, uh, you know, if it's a reprisal, right. If it's revenge and if you're being mean spirited versus saying, so we're looking at the tape and and here's what we actually saw. And you're being very, you know, funny, but still right. kind and saying, so we can see why our hostess decided not to seat you. Um, but if you want to come back and try again, like there are ways to do it right. and, and take and hold people to account, but it's a, it's an art and just the mean spirited responses are just going to turn people off. Definitely. I, when I think about the, the humor that we can see in so much of this, I'm immediately drawn into a thread that I saw back and forth with puns with a fish company, I think, and a restaurant, or I can't remember what it was, but Mm. it was puns. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, Wendy's and McDonald's and Arby's did a whole train of those things. Um, Their social teams were on fire. It was really cool to see them. Um, just go back and forth and and share puns. And yeah, it was awesome. There's been some cool uh, work that's been done that way that I just love. I don't think you're seeing as much of it anymore because Twitter is kind of becoming a graveyard and not a happy place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, threads, you're seeing a little bit of that and they're having more fun on threads because they're smaller audiences. But um, yeah, I love when brands can than when they don't take themselves too seriously and are able to engage in a fun and upbeat way like that. 
So when have you been able to do that with one of your clients? Have you had that opportunity to engage in that um, playful way? Yeah, we've had a few clients. Um, our B2B tech clients, not as much, although there are some ways to be playful with their target audiences if you know those audiences. So like a dev company, you can have have start building on inside jokes and stuff if you have the right people writing about, you know, website development and and the, mm -hmm. the, the key things there. But on the consumer side, that's a lot easier. And we've had clients where um, we've been able to take a lighter touch and, and have some fun and um, and pull people into the brand that way, for sure. Perfect. Perfect. So kind of coming full circle, you have, obviously, you are the face of Wide Focus, and you now have this mohawk, which <laughs> I love. And you're, I feel like you're, you're putting a lot more of your personality into your work now than you have in the past. When you think about um, the next five years, where do you see the the biggest um, potential for yourself and your company in terms of serving clients? Mm. Honestly, I think what I really, my goal is, is to serve my team more and have them serve my clients more, our clients more. Um, I don't necessarily have to be the face of the brand. And in fact, I'm working with um, a couple of our team members to try to get them to be more public facing. Um, I can't do this forever. And also I want them to have the opportunity to grow and to become thought leaders and to, um, to, to be able to have the same good instincts and um, ability to work with clients and, and understand how to help them. Um, and I have people on the team who have grown tremendously over the years and are really starting to take on more of that leadership role and giving me more opportunities to um, work on other things within the, to grow the business. So for me in the next five years, I really want more of them to take more of an ownership role in, um, in how we get new business and how we present ourselves um, in the stories that we tell about our own company and the successes that we have. And I want to keep growing the members of the team to become leaders in their own right. And um, serve clients better so that I don't, they don't need to lean on me when they, when we have um, a misunderstanding or a client who has questions that are harder to answer or doesn't see the results that we're all looking for. Like I want, I can always jump in um, and I can always be bad cop too. when we need to push back on things. But my goal really is to have, is to continue to build a team that's self-sufficient. Um, and that can be, Every bit is, and, and we're all like this, every bit as warm, as friendly, as open and honest and direct as we are um, to keep that culture going and um, to continue to have clients who want to hug us and who, you know, love mm -hmm. working with us, not just because we're good at what we do, but because we're really fun, kind, interesting people. So that's kind of, that's how I see it. It's less about, we'll serve the customers better if my team is stronger without me, I think. Uh I, that surprised me. That's not what I was, uh, well, I guess I didn't know what I would expect from that question. So, but I, I love it partly because I know your team yeah, and you do. I do, and I got to do their strengths finder work with them and spend some time with them. And I'm listeners. I'm here to tell you that, uh, Eric's right. 
the people that are part of this team are warm. I love hugging them <laughs> and, and very, very bright. And they helped me with some social media strategy that I was struggling with last year. Um, and I, I just really appreciate, again, this, I'm going to go back to StrengthsFinder just briefly because your connectedness and your other talents, your strategic way up there are what have made this organization what it is because you collect people, your connectedness collects people and sees their potential just intuitively. And you have this magical way of bringing the right people together to build something bigger than themselves. So thank you. I hope so. It didn't come naturally, you know, no. <laughs> it's taken a lot of work and there's been a lot of mistakes and a lot of regretful things that I've said or emailed that I've had to learn to manage. Um, but thank you. It means a lot because I've grown over the last 16 and a half, 17 years to realize that I am so dependent on my people feeling appreciated and feeling um, that they have an opportunity to grow and that there's something bigger for them here. Um, and it's, and it's always been more rewarding for me for when people stay longer and people take on a more of a leadership role. Um, but it's just become even more important to me to make sure that they are happy and fed and feel like they have a place here. Mm. So, um, new leaders, aspiring leaders, aspiring supervisors and managers. That's something to hold on to and polish. Thinking that thinking that the people who are working with you, serving them, feeding them, making sure that they feel like they are rewarded by their work and that they're valued is what's going to make your business successful. There is nothing else that can make your business successful, certainly not as successful as a team that trusts you, that feels like they are trusted. Mm -hmm. And that want to be part of the, you know, that feel ownership and feel connection. We all go to work, you know, we all have to deal with the vagaries of the workplace and the, the slog that is even a job that we love. Um, and the one thing that keeps us coming back day after day is the connection we have to the people there. And um, I have one-on-ones with all my team um, every month. And one of the things I always ask them is, how can I help you? Um, I've, I used to kind of didn't really understand the concept of servant leadership. I thought it was an interesting idea, but I didn't know if it was practical. And I've realized just how essential it is to being a good leader is being a good servant and really making sure you understand what your people need and listening um, and at, and offering help and telling them it's not, there's nothing wrong with asking for help and asking them all the time. How can I help you? How can I help you? What resource do you need? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I've, I've seen that in your people that they have experienced that. So, wow. Well, none of this is surprising to me, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, what, just as we wrap this up, what's one thing that um, you surprised yourself in a positive way, like in the last 15 years of this business where you weren't sure. And then you were like, Oh, Oh yeah. Um, interestingly enough, 
um, a couple months ago. So like I said, I have these one-on-ones and I have these one-on-ones with every member of the team. Um, Because we're remote now, we've been remote for a few years now, we generally have them on Zoom. But my director of operations asked me if we could meet for coffee and have the one-on-one instead in person. And she quickly followed it up by, I'm not quitting because a lot of times, you know, you just get that tremor of, wait, why does someone want to meet me in person? Why do they want to get on the phone? I know. Oh, But I just have a lot to share. So That's called traumatic baggage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, crap. Um, so we met for coffee and, you know, caught up a little bit, but really what she had to share was, um, some morale issues with the team. We had a really difficult year last year. Um, and there were definitely some, um, some difficult times for all of us, but as a team as well. And she wanted to walk through what was going on and share those issues with me. And she was nervous at first because she was like, I just have some news that I kind of got to break to you and tell you what's going on for people. And I said, lay it on me. Um, And she did. She shared every last negative thing that people were feeling and where they were struggling and why and what they needed from me and what I hadn't been providing. Um, And when she first started talking, I could feel my defenses start to go up a little bit. And instead of letting myself do that or starting or even talking, I just took deep breaths quietly. I mean, she didn't know that I was sitting there taking deep breaths, hide it as I'm sipping up my cappuccino. And I just listened and listened (laughs) and let her talk on the inside. (laughs) Right. Like what? I thought we were good. You know, I know it's been hard, but I didn't know like some things that were, because also people were dealing with their own personal things, which, added to the stress and to the um, difficulties for the team. And I just breathed through it and listened and asked questions and um, got more, uh, I don't know, more information, you know, and more um, context for everything and didn't say, okay, this is how we're going to fix it. It was more like, I hear what you're saying. Tell me more about this what do you think about this? And by the end of that part of the conversation, she was close to tears, but we were both like, you know, still had that strong connection. And she said, and she looked at me worried. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much for telling me all of this. I, um, I'm so grateful that you trust me enough to be able to tell me this and know that I need to hear it. And for me, it was a surprise of, and, and, like kind of in that difficult moment and definitely a really unhappy moment in some ways, I was also sort of, I was very, very grateful and um, felt that sense of, okay, this is fixable. And maybe it wouldn't be if she didn't feel the, that if we didn't have that culture of open, honest, and direct communication, and if she didn't feel comfortable telling me what was really up and we were able to make course corrections and able to work with people and, Um, talk through a new plan because she was able to do that. And actually one of my mentors, when I told him that story, he said, you don't know how lucky you are to have someone who can talk to you like that. You need to thank her again and do something nice for her. So it was really meaningful to have some have, and I, I got my, at one of the last reviews um, for one of my other team members, she handed me a lot of, very specific feedback about how she felt she was treated in um, a part of last year 
uh, and gave me gave it to me straight about why she had been unhappy and what had happened and where I had failed her. And I listened and thanked her. And, you know, it allowed us to continue a really strong, powerful relationship. And so I surprised myself by not getting defensive, but I also mm-hmm. um, am really happy that we were able to get through those times because we had people on the team who are willing to take that chance and tell the boss what's really going on. Mm. Boy, if more of us could do that and if more bosses would ask for it and listen when it came, I, I can't think of a single, no, I can think of one, (laughs) one boss in my entire career that I felt like I could be like that with and that he would listen and pay attention. So Bill McGregor, if you're listening to this episode, I want you to know (laughs) you're the one. Wow. Eric, thank you so much for sharing that. It's vulnerable and painful and beautiful. And um, I, I hope that people who are listening will hear that in themselves, see themselves in that mirror of your story and understand how that vulnerability and listening and taking the step back from defensiveness can make their teams stronger, make their businesses more successful. You're going to mess up. You know, I mess up all the time, even after 16 years, 16 and a half, 17 years in business. And I'm so grateful that I have a team that sticks with me anyway, but also Mm -hmm. tells me when I am in no uncertain terms and, and works with me to figure out how to fix those things. So I'm just going to come right back to that. That's your connectedness. You bring the right people to the table and that's the kind of experience you're going to have. And that's what you do for your clients. You bring the right people to the table. That I am very proud of. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Eric, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. I know our listeners will get a lot of value out of it. And I really enjoyed just hearing these stories because I really haven't, we haven't taken the time to have these conversations yet. So I, I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. It's so fun to be able to see you in this role and talk to you like this and, um, hear your expertise and and see you shine. Like it's a pretty amazing thing. 300 plus episodes and, you know, all the work that you've done. My team adores you. They I get the feedback about their time with you. So for me, this is definitely a huge treat and a big honor. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Listeners, now it's your turn. It's time to hold up that mirror in front of yourself. What behavior are you continuing in your management or in your conversations within your community and the people who care about you that maybe you didn't like when other people did those behaviors toward you? I know it's hard to be a manager, especially if you're new to that. So make sure you're paying attention to what you didn't like in your experience with managers and not continuing those behaviors with your people. Listeners, I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Please don't hesitate to send me a message. Um, Check out my website where you'll see the show notes, which will also include links to see Eric's business and the books that he has published over the years and um, anything else that Eric wants to include in his links. Those will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. Thanks so much for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile.
smile